BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Pick up the pieces of your life, put them back together with the words you write, all the beauty and peace and the magic that you'll start to find. When you write your story, you've got the words inside. Don't you think it's time to let them out and write them down, uncover what it's all about? And write your, write your story, write your, write your story. Hi, and welcome back to the Write Your Story podcast. Today, I'm in the studio, well, virtually in the studio with someone who needs no introduction in many ways. But this is a man who I've admired from a distance for a very long time, and I'm so grateful to get to chat with him today. He's someone that you've likely heard of and read his most popular book, which is called The Shack. And he's written many other books. He's He's been a longtime writer and a really brilliant thinker, and we're very lucky to get to hear from him today. So welcome to the studio, William Paul Young. Ah, uh, Thanks, Ali. I told you to make something up, so that's really nice. <laughs> I appreciate that. Did I do okay? Yeah, you're creative. Well, like I said, I'm so excited to get to chat with you today. There are so many things that I know, just so much wisdom that's in you that I know you're going to be able to share with us. I'd love to start kind of at the beginning of the story because you have such a fascinating story to share of how you even made it into the world of publishing. So I'd love to like rewind all the way back. I know it's been like almost 20 years since your first book came out. Yeah, 15 can you talk about like what that was like for you in the early, what first of all what drew you to writing in the first place what made you think I'm gonna write a book oh you know growing up the way that I did reading was the way to get out of my world and then writing became the the avenue of getting my inside world out even though I burned a lot of my stuff because the stuff I was writing was pretty dark because my world was pretty dark. And uh, even though I'm a missionary kid, preacher's kid, well, maybe in some respects, because I'm a missionary kid, preacher's kid, you know? So, so, you know, there are a lot of things that weren't allowed and, and uh, authenticity was one of them. So a lot, unfortunately about religion is hiding. So my writing eventually evolved into gifts, poetry and songs and short stories and, and uh, 
cards and and things like that. But I didn't perceive myself really as smart or creative. And that's part of the the damage that was part of my life. So the gift part was really essential to my journey. And the other piece that's really significant is that I was reading good writers all the way up from very young. And uh, some of the classics or a lot of the classics, you know, The Pearl or just a lot of good writers and thinking writers. And, and then it branched not only from fiction, but into nonfiction, good writers of nonfiction. So the Inklings were a big thing, you know, Lewis and Dorothy Sayers yeah. and, and that group, because they not only wrote good fiction, they wrote good nonfiction. Mm-hmm. And I was getting into some of the philosophers and people who could tr- transfer over. And then people who are good writers outside the box, some of them, you know, philosophical nihilists or whatever, you know, you had your yeah. Herman Hesse's and Siddhartha and Eastern mysticism and things like that. So, yeah. so when you read good writers, I think a lot of times you learn how to write and how not to write. So that was all part of it. I never perceived myself as a writer. It was always just gifts for friends and family. And even when I wrote The Shack, it was a gift for my family. It was a gift for my kids. So I didn't have a bucket list on which becoming a published author was on that bucket list. Sure. And that was an advantage. You were doing that during a time, too, when, you know, now in 2023, moving into 2024, becoming a published author, it's just much more accessible than it was back then. But back yeah, in 2007, yeah. when or or I don't know what year you started writing The Shack. 2005. Well, it's 2007 it was published, uh, self-published, basically. So w- during that time, the idea of self-publishing a book was just not nearly as common as it is now, so... Correct. Like, I, I believe last year there were 3 million books published. Yes. Which is crazy. And yeah. there was a lot about publishing that I'd never even, there was no learning curve for me because it wasn't of any interest for me. And uh, I didn't know that the average book sold, you know, three to 5,000 copies over its lifetime. Yeah. While a novel that hit 50,000 was one half of 1% of fiction. Yeah. And I didn't know that, you know, yeah. and so... I was I was very naive and blind going in, which looking back had its advantages because I was able to ask questions that yeah. you know, when, sometimes when you come from a blind perspective, you don't know what are the normal questions to ask. Yes. So you ask the obvious to you, but not the obvious to people who've been inside of that world. One of the things that I that I like to say about the publishing world, which has been very kind to me in many respects, is that they live walking backwards. When you get in the mechanistic side of any institution, you basically have people walking backwards. They're looking back at what worked or what worked in a moment. So they're not looking forward as to what could be. And so, you know, this worked, whether it's a movie or whether it's in a song or, you know, I've got friends in the music industry and they're kind of bound to write what worked in the past. And so it really shackles their their creativity to explore yeah. what might be. And I think I, I think everybody's a creative. Let's get that out of the way. So it's it's not a category of special people to me. All my kids are creative and some are scientists and some are cops. You know, one is a scientist <laughs> and one is a cop. But they're very creative, which allows them to be in the moment creative to whatever the situation that is unfolding in front of them. 
So having said that, people who work within the culture inside of the recognized creative ventures, whether it's poetry or song or theater or movies or whatever, they're kind of pushed into a, a, a model that says, all right, this worked. And unfortunately, that has dominated the Christian creative thing, too. And I'm kind of tongue in cheek, but kind of serious when I say that Christian music basically has 250 words. You just have to find a way <laughs> yeah. to put them in a different, in the in same a different four chords order. over and over again. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah, exactly. You just create a lot of repetition and you hope something sticks. But when when there's only that many words, you, you have to go outside to have something. Most things touch you, yes, touch you deeply. And and when you look at the music scene in total, for example, you are touched by people way outside of the Christian faith, per se. Yeah, um, they have a way of being human that uh, religious people can't. Yeah, uh, you know, depending on where they are. So the systems themselves are contrary to that kind of creativity. So one of the advantages that I had is that one, I had no, I had no outcomes in mind other than to give my kids a Christmas present. That was it. And so I wasn't bound by any of the rules, which I didn't know anyway, of what was supposed to work. It really threw everybody off, which I didn't know it would. So, you know, 26 publishers turned it down for various reasons. But at what point in the process did you decide to try to get a publisher? Tell us about how that progression went. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employer's respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. At what point in the process did you decide to try to get a publisher? Tell us about how that progression went. So I, I made 15 copies on the photocopier at Office Depot in Gresham, Oregon. I, by the way, have received this story through our mutual friends and have told this story so many times to <laughs> authors I've worked with to be like, just stay the course, just write your thing, like write that thing that's trying yeah. to happen through you. Yeah. And I just wanted to tell you that, that I've, I heard this story and I've been like, 
telling it and retelling it, but I've never gotten to hear you tell it. So I'm so excited to hear it from you. It's like Paul the Apostle only telling about yes. the Damascus Road one time. <laughs> he only tells it one time. Everybody tells it for him, but he tells it one time and it's very different when he tells it. So Kim, the incredible person who saved my life that I'm married to, she was the one who kept kind of pestering me every once in a while, like, would you just write something that puts in one place how you think because you think outside the box as a gift for our kids. And I never felt healthy enough to do it. I had a long ways to go and a lot of crap to deal with and a lot of harm that I had to recognize that I had done in the in the process. And so, you know, I had been on an 11-year reformation process that began because Kim caught me in a three-month affair with one of her best friends. And that started this really, you know, it was either find a way to change or or just kill myself because I was afraid I was capable of too much damage to those that I cared about. And um, 11 years. And in the last four years of that is when she started saying, you know, someday it took 11 years for her and I to heal. That's the markers for me. And uh, those 11 years ended right before the year I turned 50. And it wasn't until the year I turned 50 that I felt like I was healthy enough to, to do this, to write a gift for my kids because I was still working out how transformation would happen. And you know, it didn't involve so many things. That's a huge story. But just recently, she told me she was thinking like one, two pages, you know, but she, <laughs> she didn't specify that. <laughs> she, I, yeah, I thought she wanted me to write something, you know, and, and she's and like, I was, could you just make a bullet point list of like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, at first, here's the, here's the weird part. I've I've never written a novel or anything of sub, <laughs> substance. So when she told me to write something, I was like, okay, all right, what does that mean? How about, and this actually happened, I'm on the, tr- I'm on the train to one of my three jobs. And I, I think, what about conversations with God? And I look up and our train is passing a, a movie marquee that says, conversations with God, because there was a movie <laughs> that I didn't know about called Conversations with God. And, and I was thinking, okay, so that's already taken. How about if I just start with A's and work my way through the alphabet of words that matter to me? Hmm. And I'm thinking like, no, that'll kill my kids. They'll, they'll try to read it and go like, <laughs> oh, dad, really? And so I thought, all right, I'm going to write a story. I'm going to shift the main character sideways so that it's my kids know that it's me in both cases. That is, I am the main character and I'm also the one that is killed, right? Because of the sexual abuse in my childhood and all that. And um, also had a a five-year-old niece that was killed the day after her fifth birthday. So the combination of the sexual abuse that started at age five. And so Missy, Melissa Ann Phillips, her name, the acronym is MAP. And so is Mackenzie Allen Phillips, acronym is MAP. And so it ties the two characters together so that I'm represented as, and a lot about Mackenzie is true about my history. So he is struggling trying to figure out what faith even means to him after the kind of damage that he went through his childhood. And then he has this massive loss and there's nothing like suffering that brings to the surface the things that are not resolved, right? So yeah. By that time in those 11 years, I had done enough work, transformative kinds of things, dealt with so much crap in my life, 
that I felt like, all right, I'm healthy enough to do this finally. And so I started writing and it just, it was just like I jumped in a river. So, uh, you know, I was working three jobs and it took me about six months to write the shack. And a lot of it was on the train. And there's a lot of little peripheral stories to all that. Like, for example, one day I had a Saturday where I wasn't working and Kim was gone with the kids. And I started at eight o'clock in the morning and ended at 8.30 that evening. I wrote four complete chapters, including 15, which is called Festival of Friends. And Festival of Friends is the only chapter in the shack that has never been touched by a rewrite or edit. It is the way that it is the day that I wrote it, which is wow. now I realize how highly unusual that is. And Kim comes, yeah, Kim comes home and she looks at me and said, what happened to you? <laughs> I, I said, you know what happened to me? I stepped out the back door and there was a river there and I got caught in the river and I, yeah. it took me 15 miles downstream and spat me out naked and bleeding. <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah, sounds how about I right. It. Yep. So, so there was this flow and the shack, it wasn't a hard thing to write because I had been waiting 50 years to give this gift to my kids and I didn't even know it. And mm. so, you know, from day one, Trinity, which has become so centrally essential to me, part of it I got from my heritage. They didn't know how to talk about it, but they knew that it was important. And so, you know, Papa being a Black woman, that was there from day one. That was just assumed. Now you have to realize I'm writing this for my six kids, not for the yeah. world. So I write the first draft, first complete thing, as far as I'm concerned. It's the one I gave my kids. And I made 15 copies, so I had extra copies. And um, six to the kids, Kim and I kept one. And I just gave the rest to my friends. And that was it. I went back to work. It did everything that I wanted it to do. And I was done. But my friends started giving it to their friends. And they, they said, we need more copies. I'm going, all right. So we put a little collection together because I, I didn't have any money. And we made 15 more copies at Office Depot because there was a price break between that and Kinko's, you know, and you got a better price, <laughs> a price break at 15. And they started giving it to their friends. And I started getting emails that I did not know how to answer because mm -hmm. they weren't like, oh, I read your book. It was great. It was like, can I tell you about my great sadness? This book has reached deeply into my heart. This book is transformative because I've never considered that God was this good. And I'm kind of terrified that you might be wrong, that kind of thing. And I, I had been a driver for an actual author one Saturday. I drove him all over the place because he needed a driver. And he's the only author that I actually had any connection with. So I, I wrote him an email and I said, all right, how do you answer this kind of email? Because, you know, you're an author. You must get emails like this. And he wrote back and said, why are you getting emails like this? So I sent him an electronic copy. And he, and he did the author thing, which I completely understand. It's like, well, it might take me six months to get to it, but I promised my professor at college that I would read at least 20 pages of anything anybody sent to me. And I'm going like, I don't care if you read it. I, I care if Just you- Just help me respond to the email. <laughs> exactly. What do you do about these emails? And so that was on a Friday night. And I'm like, I'm waiting for him to respond to my actual question. On Monday, he phones me, which he didn't do. And he says, what were you thinking sending me that email? And I'm like, uh, just throw it out. Because I'm thinking he's offended. And yeah. he says, no, no, no. I can't print the pages fast enough. I'm like, what? 
He said, Paul, I haven't read anything in, I don't know, a decade where my first response is, I have a lot of friends who need to read this like right now, 10 or 12. And I said, yeah. well, I don't care. Send it to him. He said, I already did. Well, that started <laughs> a conversation. And he had a couple friends who didn't know each other in California. He lived in California, lives in California. And they started having a conversation about this becoming a movie. That was the first conversation pre-publishing that they wanted to make this into a movie. And they later told me that if you can sell 100,000 copies of a novel, Hollywood will come to you about a movie. And when they told me, I'm thinking like, there's way more than 100,000 people even in Portland. What's the, what's the big deal? You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's how much I was naive. And then in a conversation with them, they said, well, maybe we should publish it. Because if we can get it published and get to 100,000, then we've got a clear track in terms of the movie. And uh, said, all right, sounds good to me. Because here's an important piece. My identity was not tied to this book. Yes. My identity was already securely in my relationship with God. And so anything that happened with a book, had it already did everything I wanted it to do. Yes. And with the 15 copies, well, with the six copies, actually. And this is really important, as you know, Allie. You can't let your identity be inside of your writing. If you do that, you are harnessed to hidden expectations. You are, you're owned by whatever you are afraid to lose. And honestly, even if the outcome is beyond your wildest expectations, you won't be able to take it in or enjoy it no. if it's linked to your value and worth. No, no. And there's never enough. Yeah. If, if, yeah. if your identity is tied to that, it will never be enough. And that is one of the great gifts for me is that I didn't write this. Well, I couldn't have. But if I had written something that became this big before I was 50 years old, it would have killed me. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and harmed everybody around me. Yeah. And so when people say, you know, did this book change you? I say, no. Well, it added one thing to my life, but it didn't affect my identity, my worth, my value, my significance, my security, my meaning, my purpose, my destiny, mm -hmm. my community, my love. It didn't touch any of those things, which is what I look at that now and I go, oh, the grace, oh, the grace. Yeah. And, you know, I tell people, my people, my evangelicals, because they know about the Old Testament. I say, you know, the shack is proof that God can still speak through Balaam's ass. Like, and my people will understand that story. Yeah. So we start talking about publishing it. So we get it ready. It took almost two years because I'm working three jobs and the editing process. And as a side point right here, learn to love the editors. They're worth their weight yeah. in gold. And there are two kinds of editors. There's content editors and grammatical editors. And both are, they are so great. When I wrote Crossroads and I sent it to both those editors, my grammatical editor came back and said, wow, hardly had to touch anything. And I'm looking at the pages are full of red marks, you know, but from their point of view, they hardly, yeah. hardly and the content editor has become a friend. And, you know, when I wrote Eve, we edited out 40,000 words. Wow. So understand that they're on your side, but it doesn't mean you have to believe everything they say. So it's, yeah. it's this kind of a relationship, but Iron sharpens iron if the angle's right. So we got it ready for publication, had, a, had the cover. We went through a bunch of different ideas for covers, got the cover, and it was ready to go. We sent it to the 26 publishers. They all turned it down. 
the faith-based people thought it was too edgy and the secular people thought it had too much Jesus in it. And again, they're walking <laughs> backwards. So they don't realize that there are millions of people stuck between edgy and Jesus, but nobody had spoken into that space. Yeah. And, uh, and I didn't know I was speaking into that space. I didn't know that when you wrote human, you touched humans. If you have an agenda, especially in fiction, I understand the necessity of an agenda in nonfiction. I get that. Nonfiction works as a whole different set of rules than fiction does. But if you write fiction and you have an agenda, it is no longer art. It is propaganda. Mm. And so people are not attracted to propaganda. Only those who've been trained that that's supposed to be what they like. And so if it has an agenda, which most Christian books do, yeah, right? Because they, if they're writing for those unbelievers, they want to get those unbelievers saved so they don't go to hell and they feel better about themselves. And that kind of an agenda-driven art is not art. And so that's important. So we got it ready. They turned it down. They had one issue in common. They didn't know where to put it in a store. Which is so funny that this happens in publishing a lot where publishers don't have a vision for something because there's not a, a section for it in the store. Yeah. And you're just like, this is the obstacle that we're trying to overcome that there's no, like yeah. the book is good, but there's no section for it. So we're not yeah. going to print it. That just makes no sense. But but it does, I guess, sort of from a business standpoint. But then as an artist, you're just like, wait, I did my job. I made something unique enough that it hasn't been made a hundred times yeah. before. And yeah. that's the reason that you don't want to print it. It's so strange. I have found the shack uh, in the middle of Amish romance, <laughs> Amish romance section. It's great. I have oh pictures of it. I found it in psychology, self-help, uh, esoteric yeah. new age stuff, theology. It's found a place on every kind of shelf you can imagine. Fiction, yeah. fantasy, science fiction. So, which is so great. It's so funny. So then we get it ready. They turn it down and I ask the obvious question. How hard is it to publish a book? And so two of the guys, friends, two of the friends in California, they had always wanted to have their own publishing company for their own stuff. So my question fed right into that. So they created one for, I don't know, 500 bucks or whatever it was. And so they created this publishing house and I, I had a publisher <laughs> just like that. <laughs> I mean, just like that. Yeah. They just came out of so nowhere. So good. Yep. So one of them found a public, a printer close to his house and he, and he volunteered to ship books out of his house at night because he was putting in people's sprinkler systems during the day. And I'm working my three jobs and it's like, all right, we got the first print run. We ordered 10,000 copies, which we were told later wow. is 8,000 8, in your garage after you've run out of friends and family. Yes. It's another maybe moment when your naivete served you because if you had been working in publishing for 10 years, you probably would have ordered a thousand copies on the first run or maybe yeah. 100. Exactly. But this printer had a price break at 10,000 and they sent us 11,000. It's called overage, right? Okay. Where you're where you're allowed to accidentally print an extra 10% and charge you for them. Which <laughs> if if we had a marketing budget that destroyed it right there. And so the goal became, all right, let's see if we can sell 11,000 copies in 2 years and then work our way up to 100,000 in 5 years. And then Hollywood will come talk to the guys about a movie. Now, yeah. I own I own no part of the publishing house. That was their thing. I was just working my three jobs. They're doing the things. We went through about a year and a half of editing, 
That was before. So 2007, 11,000 copies land in the garage. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. So 2007, 11,000 copies land in the garage. Great. So we gave a whole bunch away to our friends and family. Here's our genius. This is so funny. We put a website up, actually the publishing website, um, for, and it had the shack on it. Only thing they had on it. And the only way you could find the website was at the back of the book. That's brilliant. <laughs> Isn't that brilliant? So you, the only place you could buy it was off the website. So our goal was, all right, in two years, let's go through 11,000 copies. This is May of 07. May, June, July, middle of August, three and a half months later, I get a call from the guys. Paul, we, we need to order more books. I'm like, did we give them all away? <laughs> uh, no. People are coming to the website and they buy one. And then they come back and they buy five. And then they come back and they buy cases. I'm like, wow, really? How many should we order? So we ordered 20,000 and they landed in the garage because the guy you know, was sending him out of his house, right? They landed in the garage the day we had one case of books left from the first print run. And, and we got 22,000, of course, you know, sure. overage. And so we went through 22,000 books in 60 days. And then we went through 33,000 books in 30 days. Now, by this time, stores are trying to find out where this book is because people are showing up at their stores wanting to buy yeah. it. And we're not on anybody's system, nor is the publishing house these guys created on anybody's system. So they backtrack and find us. And Barnes and Nobles calls us up and, and says, hey, we're really excited about your book. Can you send us your marketing? Like a press whatever? Kit? Yeah, uh, so that we can get on board. Yeah. And we're like, huh. Send us you your sales team and you're like, wait. Yeah, yeah. Can <laughs> you send us, can you send us one of those so we can cut and paste it? <laughs> That's what our response was. And the guy, he hangs up. He just he laughed and he says, I'll I'll call you later. And um two weeks later he calls back and he says, Look, we normally 
And there's a lot of conversations were happen happening starting with normally. Normally, we charge a publishing house thirty to fifty thousand dollars a month to put their books on the front on the front of our stores nationwide, and we we only deal with publishers who have at least ten titles. But would you consider putting your book at the front of our stores nationwide for three months for free? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so we did. So in the first 13 months, from May of 07 to the end of July, August of 08, we spent less than $300 in marketing and advertising and shipped 1.1 million copies of The Shack. And this is all before a publishing contract. Correct. 1.1 million copies before you ever signed a contract with a publisher. Yep, yep. Well, the the self-published, the publisher that your friends created, but correct, not, correct, not a... Correct, correct. Not a for real one, you know. So then they entered into a publishing contract to take the book internationally and handle the distribution and all that kind of stuff. And then it kind of blew up around the world. And uh, I remember for the first time in years, we got to go on a vacation with the family. So we took the family to Hawaii and we're... We're in Hanama Bay, you know, snorkeling, looking at the fish and the plants, you know, the the coral reef and all that. And I happened to look up at the beach where my kids were, and they're like this. They're like, and I'm thinking, shark, yeah. <laughs> you know, because, yeah. uh, you know, that's what you think when you're in the water and they're yelling. And so I get out of the water and they go, dad, 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 your book showed up on the New York Times bestseller list. And I go, it did? And they said, yeah, and it showed up at number one. It did. And it was number one on the New York Times bestseller list for 49 weeks in a row. Wow. It was, in the, it was in the top 10 for like 260 some. And I think they just took it off because they're tired of it. And so you have to understand how weird this whole thing was. Before we go on, do you know what the current sales numbers are? I know it's over 20 million, but you, yeah, you know I don't know. 20. So I think it's over 24, I think. And a whole new generation is coming into it. I reread the book the other week, by the way, because I knew we were going to be having this conversation and I hadn't read it since, I don't know, 2007 or eight. Yeah. And it landed in a whole, like a, a much deeper way. I think partly because I've become a parent since I read the book. I've got two yeah. little kids. Yeah. So that was part of it. And and just living another 15 years of life, really experiencing that kind of deep sadness in a, in a deeper way, just sure. having lost people and faced more tragedy and yeah. seen tragedy in the world. And yeah. so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, like you said, a whole new generation come into it. Yeah. And, and here's an important point. As I look at the shack and what it did and also what Crossroads has done and Eve has done, et cetera, these things have landed in the hearts of people because these are not religious books. They're human stories and they're honest. And mm -hmm. I had been through enough religion and now you have to understand, I love Jesus and I love the Trinity and all of that, but I'm not a big fan of religion and mm. of religious systems. And um, I don't have a chip on my shoulder anymore. And these are not accusations. They are observations and they grieve me deeply. Mm. Well, let me tell you just a recent story. Just two days ago, I have a friend and every year I do a widow's Christmas gathering. I'm the only man they've ever invited to it. And I've done it for like a dozen years. So I get together with all these widows and it is a precious, precious time. And the gal that leads this, Joanne, she is a dear, dear, dear friend of mine that I have known since before Kim and I met. 
And Kim and I have been married for 44 years now. And so we meet in a, for the last few years in a church, a particular one, and she's a hospice chaplain. That's what she does. And she's in her eighties. She is one of the most kind human beings I've ever known and empathetic and inside, inside the sacred space of people transitioning or mm-hmm. dying. And she has been really in the middle of it. She's had two families that are right in the middle of it. Plus her husband is in hospice and is transitioning. So she calls me a few nights ago and she is right on the edge and she begins to just weep. And she said, I just got, I just out of nowhere because our, our gathering is a week from a week from Saturday. And she says, I just got a notice from the church that they found out that you're coming to speak here and they can't allow it. You can't even be in the church property and you can't be interviewed or a speaker or anything because you might be a nice human being, but we have to take a stand for the, for the scriptures, yeah. right? And, and here is where the literal approach to scripture is very compartmentalized. They'll take a snake talking in Genesis, literally, or God saying, kill all the babies, literally, but they can't take the Sermon on the Mount, literally, right? Yeah. And enemy love or, or kindness, which is a great sadness for me. And they're yeah. my people. They're my people. But I don't personally take offense to that at all. But it grieves me that they, that they would do this to her. You know, sure. and and do they're doing it with good intentions, and yeah. I refuse to make them my enemy. But I know I know what they bring to the table and the kind of religious trappings and bondages that yeah. that that blind that kind of thing. So when I wrote, I didn't write a religious book. I didn't even write a Christian book yeah. because uh, yeah. because Christianity. All the Christian publishers were like, no, no, yeah, it doesn't edgy. fit for us. Yeah, yeah. no. God is a black woman. Uh-uh. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I tell people, well, I could have suppose I could have used a metaphor right out of scripture and God could have come as a big hen, but I just didn't, <laughs> I just don't think it would have done the same thing, right? Yeah. And yeah. uh people who are literal who are literalists have a real problem with metaphor anyway. And with genre, different kinds of genre. Yeah. So my story is about all that is unusual. And uh, I mean, really, really strange, but the book has become a, a watershed piece for what is happening in the world. And I, I made 15 copies at Office Depot for my kids. Yeah. And the kinds of things that have happened around this are absolutely miraculous it's on absolutely so miraculous. many, so many levels. And the part of the beauty is 15 copies did everything I ever wanted it to do. Yes. And, and so... I'm watching this like everybody else. And as far as far as what is happening, it is it is much surreal today as it's ever been. And and I'm cheering from the cheap seats, you know? And so mm-hmm. yeah, I've been pulled into an awful lot of conversations. Oh, I told you that the book had nothing to do with all this major stuff in my life, but it did give me a gift that I didn't see coming. It is the gift, and it's been a gift to me and to my family and to my friends. It's an invitation to walk on the holy ground of other people's stories. The beauty of fiction, if it's art, is that it, it, it creates more space on the inside than it uses on the outside. And people 
can now hear for themselves and see for themselves things that I didn't write. Like you said, you know, that you just read it again and there were things that it that it touched in you that yeah. it didn't the first time. And people go like, I've, I've got friends who've read it a dozen times and they go, I didn't see this. I didn't see this. How, yeah. how can that be? And I say, because you moved, you know, yes. the mountain, the mountains, the mountain. But when you move around the mountain, it continues to look different. It looks different from each angle. Yeah, absolutely. That's the beauty of fiction. You know, mm-hmm. you're creating space that people can hear for themselves. I would add to that too. It's in addition to fiction, because you you made the distinction between fiction and nonfiction, but I think so many of our listeners who are trying to write a personal narrative, it operates very similarly to fiction. It's a story. Even though the details are not fake, you know, or, or untrue, the details are true, but you're building the narrative the same way that you do with fiction. And I think yeah. the point you made about if you can enter into this without an agenda and just tell the story then the story starts to teach you things and what the story is teaching you. It also teaches your readers. And I think that happens almost like outside of you or without you doing anything. It's like the story starts to teach you. And I think that is true in, in memoir as well as fiction. I agree hundred percent. And people ask me, is the shack true? And I say, yes, it's just not real, you know? And so it flip itself for autobiographical things. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's real. And it's true. And it's true. Yeah. So so that's that's a significant point. Thank you for, for raising that. And even nonfiction has, you know, when I wrote Lies, uh, Lies You Believe About God, which is particularly the one that got me in trouble this week, it's wrapped inside of story. Story is what yeah. frames the theology. Each thing you work on will have a different, it'll have a different feel to it. Crossroads yeah. was very much like The Shack in, in its genre and feel. Eve totally different. It's much more fantasy science fiction theology. And it was, it's the hardest fiction I've ever written because I had to deal with the theology that's out there yeah. and, and reframe it. So again, you're different. You know, when you write something that's not what you've written in the past, you've changed in the process. Yeah. And so you're, you're bringing a different person to that. And let me say this, grew perfectionism. Amen. It's a target you cannot hit. And it creates a set of expectations that absolutely bind you. So, you know, people say, I just can't get started. And it's like, just write. You're trying to write something something perfect. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And don't put yourself on a timeline. Yeah. Right. I've got a science fiction that's now waited for almost 20 years. And if it's, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't, you know? It'll be ready when it's ready. And there's a lot of things that I write that, that in the editing process, I even change during the editing process. And, and that's yeah. part of the editing process. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. 
Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. How do you negotiate that insight? Because now you're a published author. I'm certain that you have publishers who are knocking on your door wanting you to, what's the next thing we're working on, Paul? Yeah. You know, like when yeah. when's the next book coming? So how do you negotiate being an artist <laughs> who's who's sort of waiting on the thing to happen yeah. and then also like being on the timeline of publishing and having those expectations and yeah. meeting the expectation of the reader even who read The Shack and wants to know what's the next thing you're going to say. How do you live inside of that? I don't. I, okay. I, a couple of different things. And this is for me. This is not, well, all of this that we've talked about is for me and not for anybody else necessarily. That might give a perspective that's helpful. But a long time ago, I learned most of the time to stay in the present tense to only respond to that which is in front of me at the moment that it's happening in front of me. I'm not a future tripper. I don't create imaginations that don't exist, right? Mm-hmm. So it's made it's required some changes. I won't open myself up to the publishing process until I have a fully complete manuscript. I won't play the game, the gambling game where you pitch a, a deal with I'll write you three books if you give me xyz you know amount of money whatever yeah yeah i don't do that yeah because i don't think it's fair to the publisher it's it's they're you know they're trying to throw stuff up against the wall and hope something sticks and so yeah. what becomes most important is what do they call that the the document that you write that uh, a proposal presents, document yeah yeah that yeah. one that becomes the most important document. It's, I love that you don't know what that's called. It's the fact that you've sold 20 something million copies of a book and you don't know what a proposal document is, <laughs> is like the perfect representation of the message that I'm wanting people to get from this episode. So that's just, that's just beautiful. Yeah. Thanks. So, <laughs> so I have such great relationships with every publisher that I've had, that I have relationships with. Right. Yeah. Cause I don't, I don't hide because, and we've told people, if we're going to even talk about a deal, number one thing is relationship. Yeah. And then um, terms of the contract and then any money if it's upfront, right? Those are the three things with a standard publisher. And I said, look, if we think the money that you're offering violates the relationship, it's not going to happen. So that's important. Also, people need to understand that right now you've got your traditional publisher, you've got your self-publishing, which is becoming very much more nuanced and intelligent, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and there's a lot of people working in that space, but the same thing applies. Be a truth teller and respond to the next right thing. Yes. And, and, tr- and for those who are in our world, trust the Holy Spirit and don't make your decisions based on outcomes. That's future tripping, right? 
but yeah. you're because that's fear driven. If you're it trying is. to get an, if you're trying to get an identity from being an author, let me know how that works for you because yeah. those kinds of things have <laughs> killed me my whole life. You yeah. know, that's why I asked the Lord, can I can I have dreams now because visions have been killing me my whole life, right? Yeah. Because every yeah. time I get a vision, I think that I'm supposed to make something happen. And it's not. You look at the whole Old Testament and everybody's trying to make visions happen and it kills them all the time. And they end mm -hmm. up with really catastrophic situations. So, like I said, don't make your decisions with an idea of an outcome that is going to give you identity, worth, value, significance, security, meaning, purpose, destiny, community, and love. Don't do it. And I mean, that will really become the crux. And people say, well, God asked me to do this. And it's like, yeah, I bet he did because yeah. he needs to deal with your crap your false identities, your false sense of security. You're finding security in something that doesn't even exist. So you've got a set of expectations that are driving you about something that doesn't even exist because you don't have a capacity yet to stay present to the one who loves you. And man, that's important. You got to deal with the crap, but it's going to be, that's what's going to raise it to the surface. Yeah. So Publishing, self-publishing, there is now growing a, a community of publishers that are in the middle. Hybrid publishers. Hybrid publishers, exactly. And I've got friends who are doing that. And mm -hmm. who will I go with in terms of a specific sort of project? I don't know because it's not here yet. Yes, you know? yes. But there are so many options available. I think it's the important thing for people to hear that if... If you go into this, what I hope people are getting from this is if you go into this with the expectation that I'm going to write this thing, I'm going to finish it, I'm going to print 12 copies, then when you get to that place, you can make a decision, do I want to publish this more widely? And if so, which option makes the most sense for my project? But you don't have to know ahead of time. I, I work with people all the time who get very attached to, they want to go with a traditional publisher because it feels like the real way to do it. And so they spend months and months and months and sometimes years writing a book proposal document and don't get the manuscript written. And it's so difficult to watch because you're like, yeah. you have a thing that's that I do believe people feel called or asked or, or invited or whatever to write this project. And then they're working on this other thing, like growing their social media platform so that a publisher will pay attention writing the book proposal document, making themselves look good, you know, whatever it is so that a publisher yeah. will pay attention instead of just answering the call and writing the thing. And that's one of the things I love so much about your story is that you just did it. You just wrote the book. Yeah, I know. And, and I, I want to approach everything else that I do in the same, in the same sense, because I don't know what will happen in the moment because it doesn't exist yet. I could die tomorrow. <laughs> and that'll screw up any agenda that I thought I had. Yeah, you know? yeah. And and that's Jesus' words. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna make this business, always say, if God, if it's God's will and I'm alive, right? Yeah. So, and you don't have to make those decisions. And there's this whole capacity of trust where we disassociate what we're doing in the creative space from the presence of the inner dwelling of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we separate. We create a separation as if we're going to make decisions about something that doesn't exist. And, and yeah. in that, in isolation, you are disempowered, yep. right? Because it doesn't exist. And it's <laughs> like, do the next thing that's in front of you. And that, that is, if you have a sense that you are to write something, then do that. 
not yeah. based for the outcomes because the outcomes don't exist in yeah. this moment. And here's another thing. There's an old saying that comes from the early church. God will not be God apart from us. That is the activity of God is always one about participation. One of the phrases that I absolutely hate is that God will use you. Because I would never say that about my child or grandchild. Oh, I can't wait for you to grow up so that I can use you. <laughs> yeah, that is really bizarre. It's, it's not only yeah. bizarre, it's wrong. And yeah. this is not about God using us. This is about an invitation to participate. You know, yes. and a lot of people disassociate themselves from their from their artwork because they are their shame drives them to disassociate because they don't mm -hmm. want to be associated with something that's not perfect. Right. And that's the perfectionist yeah. thing that will kill you. So, you know, people will say to me, would you read this? God wrote this through me or God wrote this or God gave me this. And I read it and I'm like, God is really a bad writer. You know, it's just <laughs> does horrible art. And I have a friend who is in the music industry and he got pursued a lot by, you know, Christian musicians. And, and he said, this is not my best moment. He said, so he finally kind of breaks into his office and says, you've got to listen to this. God gave this to me, this song. And finally, just to get him out of his hair, he said, all right, I'll listen to it. And he listens to it. And what do you think? Well, I think that God gave this to you because he didn't want it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my and so, gosh. you know, whatever your hand finds to do it, do it with all your strength, which is a moment by moment in the moment presence yeah. everything that's real is now it's not in some imagination about what this is going to mean you know if yeah. you if you want a gateway drug to future tripping buy a lottery ticket right because all your problems will be solved in your imagination and you're going to have yeah. to already figure out what you're going to do with the kids and how much money you're going to give them and 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 what lawyer you're going to need and what this means in terms of taxes you know you bought a lottery ticket and, and that's a gateway yeah. drug to future tripping. Well, so is this, right? And a much smaller scale, but it's the same thing. And this is not about, I am with you, abide with me, take no thought for tomorrow. You know, keep your, I'll, I will keep you in perfect peace if you keep your mind stayed on me. In the presence is fullness of joy. This is where the real world is. So part of the beauty of being inside this kind of fresher is that it will bring to the surface all the things which are not true. It's risky yeah. to trust. That's why we love religion, because you don't have to trust God. Yeah, and, uh, you just and follow, so, the, rules. follow the rules. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, no, God is after anything in you that is not of love's kind. Yeah. If it's this process that will bring that crap to the surface that keeps you from being fully human and fully alive, yeah. bring it on. Bring it on. Bring it on. Yep. This is such a beautiful world that we get to participate in without the necessity of an outcome. You know, is the one worth enough for you to be a participant in a creative process? Is the one yeah. worth enough? And what if the one is you? Yeah. Is that enough? And we know that the one is worth the entire cosmos. You are. You are. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So... You know, that frees us from, from all the bondages that the world experiences because of outcomes. Paul, you're such a beautiful person. I could literally talk to you all day. I have a thousand other like faith questions that I want to ask you, but I will save that for another time. But I do have one more question I want to ask before we wrap up. 
Please. Do you call yourself a writer now? No. I write, but being a writer <laughs> is not my identity, you know? And uh, people would say, so what do you do? I said, and I would say, well, I'm an accidental author, you know? So, <laughs> <laughs> do you get recognized? Like, do people recognize you as the author? Yeah, of the not much. And uh, they did at one point. I mean, it was just all over the place because I was all over the place. Yeah. And, uh, and it was kind of, it was a little bit of a cross to bear. And it was a, the temptation was to begin to believe notoriety is a, is a culture of violence. Yeah. A, a culture of notoriety is a culture of violence. But notoriety also has its advantages. I mean, really good advantages like Joseph, Daniel. God is a redeeming genius, not for an outcome of notoriety, but for an outcome of care for others that can be served by notoriety. As long and the thing about it is you cannot, you cannot, you cannot make your identity that. I don't mind saying to people, I'm a writer, if it's helpful. I don't mind saying that I'm a Christian if it's helpful. Right? But a lot of times it's not helpful. Yeah. I'm also a singer. I don't I'm not yeah. good at it. You know, I'm also a grandfather. A dad. A grandfather, a dad right. A These are all categories. In my relationship with my own dad. One of the greatest things about forgiveness that happened when he was 80 was that I finally let him become something greater than being my dad. And that was being human, right? Because being a dad had all kinds of expectations linked to it, Yeah. right? And oh, that's um, beautiful. Oh, it's so incredible. And it's what jump-started a relationship that had never existed because I let him be human. And when I let him be human, suddenly his story mattered. Yeah. Right? And suddenly I was able to listen because what I had found out was I was loving strangers way better than I was loving the people that I was in relationship with. It's quite common, isn't it? It's easier oh, to love people that you don't have to live with. <laughs> well, not only that, you have a much, you have a much less entangled or attached sense of belonging. Yeah. Right. And so there's not the expectations. You don't go in. Expectations are just prophesied disappointments. <laughs> so yeah, do I call myself a writer? If it's helpful, mm. if it's helpful, and, and I don't have to make an issue about it. You know, it's the, the Greek word for accusation or accuser is categorizomai or categoro. That's to create categories in which you put people. Mm. So am I a writer? Sure. It's helpful. But sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's like, no, I write, but I'm actually, I'm like you. I'm a human being. Yeah. I'm made in the image of God like you. I'm indwelt by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit like you. There's never been a separation between the, the truth of who we are, which is included. Thank you so much for all of this. Thank you for everything you shared. Thanks for your generosity with your time. We're so grateful Allie, to- You invited this. me. Come on. Come on. Thank you. Well, thank I really you. appreciate it. Oh, me too. It's always a two-way street. Sometimes the Holy Spirit allows me to hear through my own voice things that I need to listen to. Yeah. <laughs> I Yeah. I resonate with that too. It's one of the reasons why I love to write because that's one of the- one of the most powerful ways God speaks to me is through my own yeah, writing. Me too. Me too. And it's, uh, and it's great. Uh, it's, I, it's a, such a gift that people have listened over my shoulder as it were, you know? Mm. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. You're again. welcome. Big hug.
I hope you enjoyed that conversation with William Paul Young as much as I did. And I hope it inspired you to write the thing that is asking to be written by you and to not worry about what the outcome is going to be and to not pay too much attention to how you're going to publish it or if or when or whatever is going to happen in the future, but just to write the thing and plan to get it finished and print 12 copies and give it to your closest family and friends. I wanted to make sure that you know that if that's something that you're trying to do in your life right now, I have an opportunity available starting in January of 2024 for a small group of authors to walk through this process with me over the course of six months. You know, it's interesting that Paul mentioned that it took him six months to complete his book while he was riding the train back and forth between his three jobs because I created a book in six months exactly for this reason. I think it takes about six months to finish a book when you're really ready to begin writing it. And if this is you, if you have a book idea that's been nagging at you for a while and you're ready to get going on it and you just need a little bit of support, some encouragement along the way, maybe some accountability, some other people to be part of a group, then this opportunity is a really amazing chance for you to get all of those things that you need to get the manuscript written. We're going to be starting our process on January 3rd, 2024 and meeting for the first six months of the year until July 3rd of 2024. By the end of that six months, you will have a finished manuscript. And this program is open and available now for registration. You can find out more at abookinsixmonths.com and registration will be open until we begin coursework on January 3rd. So I hope to see you in class. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget Beach Finder. Or find a featured all-inclusive package to Ibera Star Hotels and Resorts and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is gonna be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply.